This is episode 71. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that It doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finished. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our future guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here once again on the Business Generals podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. If you haven't done so, remember to click subscribe on your podcast player so that you do not miss an episode. My name is Davis Mutawa and I am your host. I'm super excited to bring you another feature guest, Mr. Mike Wheeler to the Business Channels podcast. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to join in today. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Wheeler is the founder of Mike Wheeler Media with a mission to equip, inspire, train a global audience of professionals looking to be certified in the Salesforce platform. Mike is also a world-class online trainer and an instructor with over 27,000 students, over nine courses and over 7,600 reviews on the Udemy online training platform, which we'll no doubt hear a lot about. Mike, once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, Why don't you kick us off and let us know who is Mike outside of business? Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Very excited to be here. And as far as who I am outside of business, probably what I'm most well known for is my family. I have seven kids and a lovely wife. And uh, so we've got um, six sons and then a baby daughter. And so always a busy time around the household and a lot of time management and juggling going on. And uh, so, yeah, so beyond that, uh, just try and uh, provide for this family. So I'm always hustling, always looking for the next opportunity and kind of have an entrepreneurial streak as well. So I think that's why I'm here today. (laughs) (laughs) So big family, hey? Yes, yeah, it's um, it's been interesting. We finally had a baby girl, so we're done now, but we have seven kids, six boys, and then the baby girl is three. Oldest is approaching 21 years of age, so I don't have retirement on my horizon anytime soon. I'm just going to keep working, so. <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, we've, we've got one daughter. She's, she's five, four, five and a half, so it um, must be exciting in your house having, um, having had seven kids, but uh, that's exciting. Uh, and appreciate you sharing that. How, how long have you been full-time in business for yourself, Mike? Um, I've been doing like my own business since about 2001. Uh, and in the early days, I was doing technical writing and training and like curriculum development. And so, and I usually supplement that with uh, some consulting work as well. And so, so I've had several different businesses, but since 2001, I've been self-employed. So going on 15, 16 years now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
That's great. And congratulations on that. Um, we'll talk about your journey in just a second, but I okay. wanted to know what um, what are your core revenue streams at the moment? All right. So core revenue streams, one of the primary revenue streams would be my online courses. And so uh, you mentioned that I teach on the Udemy platform. And so that's one of my main revenue streams is, and that's a great thing is because it's residual income. Uh, since the day that I launched on Udemy, I've had, I've not had a day without a sale. So every day since I've been on the platform with a paid course, I've made money there. So it's nice, you know, waking up in the morning, having generated some income. And then other uh, revenue stream would be uh, consulting engagements. I'm, you know, the past five or so years, been doing Salesforce consulting and development. And so I usually have, uh, sometimes I have projects going, it kind of depends on you know, where I'm at in my production schedule on courses and what uh, interests me as far as projects that are out there that are available. So, uh, so those are the, those are the primary things. Okay, fantastic. Now let's, let's step back. I'm really interested in, you've mentioned something about passive income on the Udemy platform and, you know, making a sale every single day. And that's, that's what I love to hear. So, but before we get into that, I want to step back and let's talk a little bit about how you found yourself in what you're doing today. Were you previously in corporate? Did you exit corporate? Walk us through a little bit about your, your, your beginning days. Yeah, I've had a pretty long and extensive career with uh, just the corporate environment and a lot of work in the technical writing space, um, a lot of manual writing and stuff like that for different software companies. And that, that sort of work lent itself more for contract engagements. And so I've had a few stints as an employee here or there, but usually in the nature of that work, you're brought in on a project to write a manual. Back then, it was before the internet a whole lot, actually, or it was the early days of the internet. And so there's mm-hmm. printed manuals and stuff like that. And so you would be coming in towards the end of a project to write the, I always used to call it the manuals that no one would read, basically. So mm-hmm. so, uh, so there was a lot of um, just contracts going from one company to the next, you know, through recruiters and stuff like that. And so a lot of six to nine month engagements. And, um, but I've had a few stints as an employee here, there, uh, along the way. So yeah, I just, um, I've worked. Was that um, by choice, Mike? Um, I think by necessity, just with the nature of the work, because most of the companies that I worked for weren't big enough and churning out enough software products in order to um, require a writer full time. And so I never Mm -hmm. was like in the Bay Area in California or in New York City or one of the large hubs. You know, I've spent time mostly, you know, the past 15 years in Tennessee. And before that, uh, some time like in Oklahoma and Colorado and, and you know, working in mid-sized to smaller companies and um, and so just kind of going where the work is. And so it's, I've learned a lot with uh, dealing with different cultures, different verticals, and I uh, got really good at writing instructional material and learning systems really quickly along the way. Mm-hmm. And when did Salesforce come into the picture for you? Well, the first time that I ever encountered Salesforce was about in 2008. And I was doing, you know, technical writing. I was also starting to do some work in like the search engine marketing space, more just to rank myself on the first page of Google for t- my technical writing services.
resources, especially in the location I was in. And I had a client, and I started getting into like WordPress for websites and building my own websites and stuff like that. I had a client that I was doing their website for, and they needed a web to lead form on Salesforce. And so I did that form and then promptly forgot about it. And then I just started seeing Salesforce popping up more and more, and then I started looking into it. And really, I guess the crystallizing moment for me, because I was doing a lot of different things at this time, really came in 2011, which is not that long ago, really. It's just six years ago. I was standing in a Barnes & Noble bookstore, going through the computer book section, just always seeking, you know, a way of... Uh, advancing my skills and making more money to provide for this large family that I have. And there was a book on Salesforce development. And I started, you know, uh, thumbing through that. And just as I was looking through that book, I realized that it made a lot of sense. It really clicked for me. And I felt like deep down that I could do this. I'd had a lot of false starts trying to, you know, learn Java and C Sharp and all these different um, languages. And so I was kind of a C-level C programmer, you know, just not very good. <laughs> and uh, and so what appealed to me about the Salesforce platform was that you can do a lot with clicks instead of code. And so it was really 2011 was when I decided to go all in with Salesforce and stop, you know, doing all these other things because I was doing technical writing, I was doing affiliate marketing, I was doing WordPress websites, just basically whatever I could get work to do in order to make money. I was chasing wherever the work was, you know, and saw this as a, a huge opportunity to uh, be in demand and to charge a higher rate. So all that decision just came from that one instance where you were going through that book or was this something that was seated in your heart previously? Uh, it pretty much was when I was looking through that book and then beyond that I bought that book and then uh, I remember I was going on an interview for a technical writing job with a company and in that they mentioned that for all their support tickets they use Salesforce and I was like oh my goodness there's Salesforce again you know and mm. um, I ended up you know doing a contract for that company but I was able to I guess grow where you're planted sort of mentality as far as I uh, took the initiative to help with their Salesforce instance and made it known that I was learning Salesforce and got to sit in on uh, calls. And so it was one of these things to where in my day-to-day -day job, a lot of the documentation I was doing revolved around what they were developing in Salesforce along with a third-party company. And then since I showed an interest and aptitude for it, um, was able to get more and more involved and get like admin access and, and then from there just started studying for certifications and off to the races we went. I love I love that attitude and that, that pathway where it says, you know, you were doing a whole bunch of things, you know, web development or, or WordPress things and you know, affiliate marketing and all the other bits and pieces you, met, you just mentioned before, but then you wanted to focus in on, on one aspect. And I, and I hear this theme all the time from all my guests that I interview is basically you decided to niche down in one area, which is always feels like a risk because you're going to give up on, on this other type of revenue that has been coming in to support your family. But, but you found a way to become a technical writer for a company that was actually in a specific field you already wanted to work in. And that excitement you brought to the table made, made it possible for you to actually learn from that. So I think that is a great lesson in that for everybody listening. Now, Mike, I just want you to explain 
briefly what does Salesforce do to a layman? Okay. Yeah, excellent question. Yeah, uh, Salesforce is a platform. It's web-based or cloud-based platform that you can use and customize to fit really any business or process. And it's you can use Salesforce for marketing, sales, and service. And so it's really industry agnostic in that all uh, businesses, even my own, a one-person or a family business, I guess I should say, I have pieces of this that are marketing and then sales and service. And so uh, Salesforce can be customized through clicks instead of code. You can also code as well if you need to, but 80 to 90% of all development needs can be done declaratively with clicks instead of code. So when you boil it down, it's a cloud-based platform uh, that you can uh, customize processes for marketing, sales, or service. Um, What is the most uh, the best thing Salesforce is known for? Probably uh, just the ability to customize to meet a business's needs and then just the rapid development. There's a lot that just works out of the box, whereas with a traditional development environment, you spend a lot of time you know, spinning up servers and setting up users and security, and a lot of that can be done very quickly on the Salesforce platform so you can get into the actual core functionality and processes very quickly. So it just really provides for a rapid uh, deployment a development and deployment cycle. Okay, I want you to break it down one more level down. So what is a critical process that a business owner listening in today can replace using Salesforce? I think a lot of legacy systems are usually pretty apt to be replaced by Salesforce. And if there's processes where... Uh, You have people maintaining spreadsheets. I see a lot of this in the different uh, consulting engagements that I do. It's either replacing legacy systems or there's situations or processes where there's multiple people that have different versions of spreadsheets or documents, and there's always confusion around the latest source of truth. And so uh, you can put that inside of this, basically, in essence, a cloud-based database so that there's one source of truth, and it's available either mobily or from the desk. Top. So um, that, in a nutshell, would be uh, a, a common pain point that I've seen that Salesforce can eliminate really quickly. Okay. So if I'm thinking through it, am I, am I looking at it like it's replacing my MailChimp or it's replacing my lead pages where I'm capturing my leads or is it replacing my, my pipeline of my sales outreach which aspect of that? It can replace all of it. You get into different clouds and you're talking about like lead Pages and MailChimp, that would be more the marketing cloud side. And mm-hmm. so there's different cloud solutions, and there is an end to end solution that Salesforce provides in just the natural life cycle of a relationship between two businesses. You know, mm-hmm. you got the marketing side where you attract new customers, and then the sales cycle or the sales process, and you can set up multiple sales processes, and that's where you attain customers, where you close deals, and that's the whole pipeline and territory management stuff. And then once you enter into that contractual relationship, you want to retain those customers, and that's where you get into the service cloud. Uh, So you really, uh, it just depends on, you know, what you're wanting to replace or build. And there's also solutions around like e-commerce or government or health cloud. Uh, Salesforce more recently in the past few years has matured to the point that they're getting into other, I guess, cloud solutions and specific verticals as well. Mm. Now, is it true, just to digress slightly, that Salesforce has been a 
key player in in basically introducing you know cloud-based businesses and software as a service to to the IT world. Have you have you found a little bit more information about that in your journey? Yes, yeah, they they've been really one of the pioneers in just cloud computing and uh, Salesforce, you know, was started in 1999 and one of the co-founders Mark Benioff, he was a executive with Oracle and then he and Parker Harris, the other co-founder, they started uh, Salesforce back in 1999 software as a service and, you know, cloud-based. And so a lot about, you know, not hosting things in your own data center or having servers in a closet somewhere, but outsourcing that to the cloud so that you can scale more easily. And there's been other cloud players come along as well, such as Amazon, which is probably more of a household name. You know, Google has a large cloud presence and Microsoft. And so they've really, in a lot of ways, led the way in this move towards the cloud. And so, yeah, they were really early on that. Mm. Interesting. You talk about Amazon. Um, they just literally uh, started or in the process of building this massive football-sized stadium um, warehouse here in Melbourne. Okay. And uh, there's a bit of buzz around town to see what, what that's going to look like for entrepreneurs, for, for families in terms of um, you know the convenience that Amazon will bring to, to our country. So I'm um, looking forward to some of that in, in, um, in future discussions. Um, now, I want to go back to your story. So you've, you've found the books that have inspired you to say, right, I'm going to target my career down Salesforce. And now we've understood a little bit more about what Salesforce does and how it can help companies grow. So that's how the idea has come about. How did you know you were able to execute on that idea? I guess you've worked on this idea with that company um, where you were technical writing. So what was the next stage for you? So the next stage was, uh, you know, getting to use it in practice. And so in that job that I was working as a technical writer, my day-to-day duties started to get more involved with uh, Salesforce. And I had the opportunity to sit with some of the people that were taking calls from customers and logging cases and gathering, basically gathering requirements. I didn't really even know what I was doing at that point, but getting feedback from the end users and saying, you know, what would be really nice is if it could do this. And so I went about figuring out how to make those things happen in a like a sandbox environment. I didn't just make changes willy-nilly, but basically was able to take care of some of that actual development work and then things that was beyond my own ability at that time. I was able to then farm off to the uh, the third party vendor that had been working on you know the solutions on the platform. So it was really it was getting the chance to apply what I was learning in theory in, in a practical way, in a hands on real world way. And I found the best way that I learn is when I have some really burning need to learn something and not just something theoretical, but something to where, okay, if I don't figure this out, I'm in trouble, (laughs) you know, if where I'm really motivated and I can relate these concepts to something more tangible and concrete. Right. Okay. How, How did you make the shift then from that to starting to train and be an educator and an instructor in Salesforce? Okay. So yeah, great question. So as I was learning Salesforce, okay, and probably the first year or two in my own journey of, you know, getting certified, getting my first job as a Salesforce developer, being able to double my income compared to as a technical writer, I started to look mm-hmm. around and think, you know, well, if I can do this, other people can do this. And I was trying to convey this to other people and say, you know, this really is 
an attainable path to a cloud-based career, you know. And so I thought for several years that I would end up blogging about Salesforce and just writing a lot of content. I even thought about like writing my own online help system because I'm familiar with those tools and how to do that. And uh, But knowing that that's a big time commitment and that's kind of hard to monetize, I just never got very far with that. And it was uh, really accidental that I ended up teaching on the Udemy platform and teaching online courses, entirely accidental. Uh, We had a family friend that sent out an email about a a sale that Udemy was holding for their courses. And I had heard of Udemy before and a lot of other e-learning platforms and stuff like that. And, uh, but I never had really looked into them. And so they had courses on sale for $10 a course or something like that. I don't remember, but it was a cheap, you know, per course sale. And the thing that really drew me was their business model, which was you buy the course and you keep it for life. And I was familiar with these subscription models. And the problem with subscribing somewhere is you're only actively learning one or two things at a time, you know. And so you're paying the subscription, but you can only consume so much. And I really... I like the idea of being able to buy something like you'd buy a book or a movie and it would be yours to get to eventually. And I mentioned previously I had all these kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, some of them are pretty technical. Uh, My oldest son is actually a Salesforce developer and employed on the platform full time himself. But so I... Like within a matter of like 30 minutes, I had browsed the Udemy website and I bought like 20 courses thinking, oh, I might want to take this someday. I might want to take that. My son may want to take that. (laughs) And then I was like, holy cow, you know, I'm really not prone to just impulse buying. And I just impulse bought like 20 courses. And I I sat back and really reflected on that. And I thought, what is it about this particular platform that caused me to do that? It was that Mm -hmm. business model, like I mentioned, of owning the content and getting to it at your own pace. And so the next natural thing was to think, well, what is there that's Salesforce related out there? And knowing enough about the industry and the platform and the certification paths that people follow and what's the most in demand, I look for a course related to that. And there really wasn't any course geared towards that uh, base level Salesforce administrator certification. There were a lot of really highly technical courses and um, and some courses that didn't have a very high production quality. And in just looking at the landscape, I knew that there was an opportunity there. And so that's when I decided I would look into creating my own course and just gear it just directly like a bullseye towards that administrator certification. And then knowing as well that uh, another son of mine, my second son, not the one that's the Salesforce developer, but my second son is a very talented videographer and film editor. And so I knew that uh, I had help inside the household. And if I had to do it all myself, that would be a problem. But I, I knew that between myself and my son, we could put something together that would look good and would be structured pretty well. But, you know, it remained to be seen how it would be received. So I didn't want to stop you, but I wrote down this question. You, okay. you, you glossed over the fact that um, one of the key things that made you start to think about, you know, creating a blog, creating a help desk on- online to support, you know, companies, etc., was the fact that you had found a way to double your income from when you- your days as a technical writer. Yes. What happened there? How did that ha- come about? 
So I worked, you know, for years as a technical writer and really hit like the limit of what you could do there um, and was going from contract to contract and was seeing rates between 40 to $50 an hour on um, this U.S. dollars. And, uh, and if anything, I started to see that starting to go down some. And so then as I got certified as a Salesforce developer, at that point, something on my resume then, because I was doing some Salesforce development in my day job, uh, you know, I instantly started getting calls from recruiters, you know, updated LinkedIn and uh, profile and posted my resume online. And so the question would come up, well, what is your rate? And I remember like thinking, I can't believe I'm getting ready to say $80 an hour, you know, and I almost felt embarrassed <laughs> saying it, but I just blurted it out and no one really batted an eye or hiccuped or anything. It was just like, okay, that's about in line with what we're looking for. And mm-hmm. so with my first Salesforce job, you know, I was able to jump from $40 an hour to $80 an hour. So, uh, so that amazing. was, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and how long did, um, the certification to, I didn't actually know you could get certified in Salesforce. How long does that typically take? So, uh, let's see. So, I spent about three months getting my first certification. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. And it was probably a study time of 100 to 150 hours. And that was, you know, just going through and consuming content, whether it was video-based. There were some things on iTunes at that time that Salesforce made available that they no longer uh, make available. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and then as well, you know, reading books like the one that I bought at the bookstore and then just hands-on experience. And then, you know, as well, the day job, I probably should count that time yeah. as well. But this was like side study. And, um, you know, the first attempt at the test, I failed it. So I mm-hmm. ended up having to, you know, reapply myself and look at, you know, what I needed to work on and improve and then pass the second time. So... Uh, so yeah, about three months. That's great. So, so you've identified a niche. You've begun to get training in it. You've gotten certified. You've doubled your income from just exchanging time for money, and then you began to look for other ways to help others do the same. And I guess that's what led you to to focusing in on on the certifications route, because there's probably another route that other people take when it comes to Salesforce, which is probably teaching how it works or teaching users rather than teaching. Um, professionals who want to get certified and get improve their careers because i noticed on your udemy platform you've you've really targeted it to people who want to create you know careers using salesforce as a tool so i think that's a really good angle to take has that been effective for you do you think Yes, it's been very effective. And, you know, since doing this, I've learned that the type of students that I draw are known as motivated learners. And I only have to look at the mirror a few years ago of myself where I was motivated to make a higher income in order to provide for my family. And so, you know... I studied for, you know, over 100 hours, and so in this day and age where we're competing against Netflix, you know, you want to draw people that are really motivated to learn, and so helping someone to get certified and, and make more money, that, you know, it's a small investment if they're paying $10, because Udemy always has sales going on, quite frankly, but if you yep. invest like $10 in a course that you can turn around, 
you know, and double your income. I mean, that is a huge, you know, on the plus side for me. And so I'm seeing that happening for my students as well, you know, because I've been on the platform and teaching long enough now that some of my students have gotten certified, they've gotten jobs, and they've just gone on to just amazing things. And so, so yeah, mm-hmm. I think it boils down to that desire to help others, you know. And I think that that comes through and rings true even as I'm teaching because I'm not cutting corners and trying to just get rich quick. I'm trying to speak from experience in order to just make it easier for others to do what I did, you know, and kind of clear a path. And part of that as well is there's such a shortage of Salesforce talent and such a a huge demand that I'm not worried about saturating the market. You know, there's no like self-interest or self-protection here. Like, well, if I teach too many people, then I'm going to be out of consulting work. You know, that's not the case. I don't think humanity can scale to the, the point of the demand for the professionals on the platform. Yeah. No, that's, that's really true. And I love what you're sharing here. So let's get back to your journey once again. So you've identified Udemy platform, right? I'm going to launch my courses um, and you love the platform. So what happened next? Did you start, what sort of gear did you, did you buy? And I'm, I'm asking this because I know somebody might be listening and they've suddenly got an idea in their head. Sure. I've, been listening, I've been hearing about Udemy all the time. What, what do I need to do once I've got a good idea? How do I test it? What do I start with? Okay. Yeah, great question. So for me, I mean, most of the things that, you know, I've done have been by accident, you know, not some grand scheme. And so for me, as I was marching down the path of recording this administrator certification course, which ultimately ended up being an 11-hour course and took me three months to create, uh, Mm -hmm. probably, I probably spent more time on creating the course than I did attaining the certification, you know, now that I think about it. And uh, it was taking me so long and I was so I guess antsy to get something out that I decided to release the first section of the course as a free preview and just and just called it an introduction to Salesforce certifications and careers and it's it really was originally the fr- the front end of the course which was all theory and just talking about the demand and the different career paths and it's just me you know sitting in front of a camera talking you know and on Udemy a lot of people will just collect free courses you know and they'll enroll in things that they never take but there were there was enough of a demand though hidden in that, that a certain percentage of those free students uh, actually watched what I was doing and some of them connected with what I was doing, you know. And so I, at the end of, you know, Udemy allows you at the at the very last lecture of a free course to have a bonus lecture and you can link to just about anything from there. And so I linked them to my website and had a full course outline of the upcoming admin course and then a, an email form to where if they wanted to receive updates when the course launches, you know, share their name and their email and it took me about six weeks additional before the full course came out and that time I collected all of about a hundred email addresses so I started with a list of just a hundred people that were interested well, you really so, started with a list of zero, right? And then it built it to 100. Right, right. <laughs> right, yeah. I was really impressed with 100, you know. And, yeah. yeah so. And that, that's a good, good, good 100 people because they've put their hands up and said, I've watched your free course or part of it or all of it probably. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm looking forward to, to your paid course. So, that's really motivating if you've been spending, you know, slogging away for three months, not knowing whether anybody's going to buy this thing. So, right. that must have been pretty, pretty good feeling at that point. 
Yeah, it was exciting just to see, you know, the, just the sheer number of people signing up, although probably 90% of them wouldn't even open the first lecture, but then seeing that list grow and having that list of 100 targeted individuals, it was a good feeling. There was some, you know, affirmation. I still, you know, didn't know what would happen when we went live, but uh, I knew I could at least send an email to those 100 and hope that a few would sign up, so... So one key takeaway that I'm getting there is you've managed to build an email database of um, the Udemy platform. Is that a typical thing? Because what I'm hearing in a couple of the interviews that I've done or that I listen to is generally you work on the platform and you contact people through their own platform. Is that a, a change or is that still something that you still do? So the vast majority of people, you won't be able to get their email address. And so you can't just, you know, hit them up for their email address. And so I was just able to get a handful through sending them through that bonus lecture. That's not a recent change. And so I know that instructors try to get email addresses, um, you know, by directing people through the final lecture to their website and you kind of have to have the form over to the side and, and there's there's all sorts of rules that Udemy has they're kind of known for controlling that you know experience mm. and the offshoot of that or I guess the the plus side of that is they have such a huge audience that you kind of put up with a lot of restrictions because where else are you going to go to get that kind of reach you know so mm. so I did what I could in, in staying inside of their good graces and not getting any strikes against me and all that kind of stuff so yeah which is important <laughs> right right yeah don't want to get banned yeah no, 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 and and the key point is they've they've you know they've invested a lot to put an audience in one place for you so that you can go and and launch something really quickly, which is great, and I think I love that that model. Uh, how did you then move from those one hundred? How did you get your first? buying customer how did that experience go about yeah that was an interesting time because it was really late at night uh i was up there was something going on with one of our kids somebody was sick or something you know and so it was after one in the morning and i got an email on my phone that my course was live and you know you submit your course for review and then it mm. usually takes a day or two before it goes live and i had done that earlier in the day like 12 hours earlier and that email rolled through and i'm like oh oh no it's, it's live what do i do now you know and i thought well i can't go to sleep without you know spamming my hundred people you know i gotta like send that email and so i sent that email to my list and um you know i had my list in salesforce and if i remember right there was some sort of restriction on sending mass emails from the like free developer account of salesforce that i had so i ended up like sending it from gmail you know and i've since gotten more elegant with my list management but back then it was just like a blind carbon copy to my 100 people and sent it out and then went to sleep and when i woke up the next morning i already had like eight cells and wow. by the end of the first 24 hours, I had 28 enrollments, and most of those were from my own email list. There may have been one or two just organic sales from people browsing the site, but the vast majority of those were from my own list. And that, uh, coming out of the gates as an unknown and selling 28 course sales in the first day was enough to get 
Udemy's attention, and I was um, okay. contacted by uh, someone on like not uh, you know well I don't know what, what level he's at, but he's on the uh, content team, and he could tell, and the way he conveyed it to me was that he could tell that my numbers were real. There's a lot of people that will hit the ground in Udemy, and they give out a lot of free coupons, and they do things uh, to yeah. make it look like they've got an audience, you know. Yeah. And uh, he could he said it was real enough that he could tell that it was legitimate, you know, and so he wanted mm-hmm. to know more about me, more about what we're doing, what our plans are for the future, <laughs> you know, they had been looking for Salesforce courses, you know, to hit this sweet spot, and he could tell within the first oh, really? 12 hours that that I'd come along and I was hitting that sweet spot, so he actually... Nice. You know, he shared a lot of information with me as far as, you know, kind of what the future might look like if I continue to do other courses, which has come mm-hmm. to pass. Like, if you search for the word Salesforce, you're just going to dominate that space as far as the, the top results and stuff like that. So, it was an interesting time. And so, since then, you know, I've had some days where I had one or two sales early on and look like, okay, I may not have a sale today, but... Uh, like I mentioned, I've had sales every day since I launched, and that was March 30th of 2016. That's a massive testimonial for, for you to me. Um, yeah. Because I've played in places like, you know, eBay and, mm-hmm. you know, my wife has done like things like Etsy and all the, I know, yeah. different comparisons. But, you know, making a sale every single day from day one um, on any platform, I think that it's huge, especially like you mentioned at the beginning of the show that you've done the work once. Um, granted, it was many, many hours. You mm-hmm. produced 11 hours worth of content, which we'll talk about in a second, but you're still creating a sale every single day. I think that that is absolutely amazing. And congratulations on that because it speaks to the quality of what you've produced and the targeting that you ended up managing to find in terms of, of niching down to who's, who are the right people for this. So um, that's great. And I love the fact that they reached out to you and you got all this free free mentoring you know, right off the bat because of the investment that you, you obviously put in. So 28 sales in 24 hours. Um, give, us a, give us a perspective of the numbers there for you. Um, what, what was the average pricing of your, of your course at the time? So let's see. Back then, they were on the tail end of changing their pricing structure. So they, Udemy, experimented with changing their pricing. I think that I sent out promo codes for like fifteen dollars for the course, and it was priced at like one hundred ninety-five. But uh, normally, you need to price your course ten to fifteen dollars, or you're not going to do a whole lot on the Udemy platform because there's so many courses that are priced in that range. So, uh, so I made. Can't remember. Well, between the thirtieth and the thirty-first of March, I made like three hundred something dollars. Um, I had like eleven sales the next day, so I think I averaged my own cut of that was about ten dollars, eight dollars, ten dollars per sale, something like that. So, um, so yeah. And it, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, but then you're not actually going out to exchange another hour for another forty dollars or right. whatever it is what you might be doing. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's great. Why do you say it's passive? 
Well, it's mostly passive. There's <laughs> there's support things that you've got to do. I mean, I'm I'm trying to keep up with you know student questions and keeping the courses updated while also producing new courses, and so that's a juggling act and a balancing act. Um, I have had like my son jump in, who's a developer, and answer some questions and help with that. And you and Udemy does provide ways of having like teacher assistants that can help with answering questions. And so there is still is some uh, contact that you need to have with students in order to be successful. I think that's the other part of what really helped me get off the ground early was I was you know really responsive to student questions and Mm. uh, just really engaged and especially with the public facing questions because there's a Q&A section and so I didn't want things to sit out there for days and not get a response and two you have a smaller audience then so there's less odds of a student answering the question so it was all on me to answer everything and but then too the valuable thing in that if you're seeing the same question asked over and over that tells you that there's something wrong with the lecture and so that helps guide you into you know what lectures need to be updated or revised or changed and so there has been you know I have done updates with each major release of Salesforce. I have done updates to the course, but really, you know, you just wake up every day with some revenue, you know, it's, um, so it's mostly passive. Yeah, no, that's great. And so give us a, a bit of a perspective on, of where the business is at today. I know you've done, um, you've got over nine courses and you've got over 27,000 um, students. I'm sure some of those are free. Um, so how many courses would you say you've managed to sell through since you started? Like how many enrollments or... Is that what you call them, enrollments? Well, well, I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have a student that enrolls in multiple courses, and that's kind of the case nowadays. Now that I've got nine courses, I'll see people come through and they'll buy four or five, you know. I'm not sure how many enrollments I've had, but I, I do know that I have about 100 new students. Wait, no, 1,000. Uh, all right, so about 1,000 new students every 10 days. So I'm getting about 100 new people into the fold um, every day. And so that's about 100 or more enrollments a day. I remember when I was averaging 10 uh, purchases Mm -hmm. a day when I was a few months in. And so now, you know, I guess a bad day for me would be if I have less than 100. And that would usually be like over the weekends. So 100 paid enrollments a day? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I mean, really, it's easy to get like to lose perspective on this. But for anyone to like take out a credit card and actually enter in their information and buy a digital product that I created, I, it still kind of blows my mind, you know. Um, mm. And so I, I really appreciate my student base. It's uh, it's amazing. Mm. And, and even though Udemy makes sales, like what would be the lowest a sale would go for, a course would go for in your in your world? Like so, usually, usually the lowest that a course goes is ten dollars. That's kind of the floor. But they've started doing actually structured pricing to go lower than that in some countries based on cost of living and average income, and they've got some sort of algorithms and all that. And you can opt into that or opt out of that. I've opted into it, and I actually early on. 
you know, I thought, well, you know, if if in other countries, if the standard of living is lower, I'm, you know, if it's two dollars, I would be willing to sell it for that, because um, it boils back down to my mission of to equip, inspire, and train the masses on the Salesforce platform. And so I have a lot of people saying, oh, you could charge two hundred, three hundred dollars for your courses, but um, that would kind of defeat my mission statement, you know, in that I'm wanting to reach the masses. And I mean that, you know, and so I don't know, I really look at probably more closely my number of students than my revenue numbers. And that may not make the most business sense, but I feel like the more people that I can reach and impact, that's, that's really the primary driver. Because in addition to doing coursework, I still do consulting work as well. So I may behave differently if I was trying to make my teaching carry the full load for my family, but mm. really it's it's kind of a strategic thing in that I'm continuing to teach, but I'm also continuing to do the work on the platform and the consulting and being a little more, I guess, strategic in the projects that I take so that I can be learning new things and then turn around and teach others, you know, and that way I can retain that credibility and speak as an authority on the subject because I can speak from experience. And so that's, to me, you know, some of the philosophy behind why uh, I've embraced the Udemy pricing structure. And and so the lowest price is probably 8 to $10. Mm. That's a long answer. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what I love about your philosophy of still doing consulting um, in the world of being an educator and an instructor is it, it really keeps your finger on the pulse. And there's nothing worse than having an experienced student who's maybe trained in a different IT um, faculty and then wanting to upskill to become a Udemy, uh, sorry, to become a Salesforce expert and then finding uh, an instructor who's ju- who just knows textbook Salesforce because there's no application, there's no reference to being in the real world. Like I did a postgraduate course and some of the lecturers just had never worked a single day in their lives and mm. they're just providing you answers to pass an exam. And I was like, I've, I'm not here to pass an exam. I've gone past that stage in my life. So so what you're doing, I think, is incredible. And it will always give you an edge as an instructor because you, you're probably competing. I'm sure there's some people there who maybe have never worked using Salesforce real life that are your competition and therefore you're going to trump them all the time. So so I love that. What's the, what's the Udemy cut? Uh, is it 50% or is it it is uh, 50% for their organic sales. Those are people that are just on the website and browsing and happen to purchase your course. And then if it's people that you send to Udemy, you get 97% of that. They just take 3% for their credit card processing. So that would be people that I send through my emails or through Twitter or LinkedIn, stuff like that. And then uh, they also have an affiliate network and so affiliates um, if they drive a sell I get 25% so there's just different structures it's either 25% through affiliate 50% through organic 97% through my own promotions Mm -hmm. what about repeat customers within the platform I do see quite a bit of that uh, as I release new courses, and so I don't know the numbers on that. Uh, I think one thing that it, Udemy could improve is better analytics around those sorts of answers to questions, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I could dissect that. I've got, I do imports into Salesforce, but I've not bothered to look at that. But there is a lot of repeat business. You know, a large percentage of my students have come from prior courses that I've done, and, you know, and the feedback is they'll, you know, they're helping guide me on what they're wanting to learn next as well and anxious to get that next course out. So, 
Yeah. Um, what would you do differently if you were launching um, your strategy again on Udemy? I think I probably would have spent less time fighting the system um, and just embracing it for what it is, you know. And um, they they have such a large audience, and they're still just by far by far my largest revenue stream. I've tried other platforms and even like launching my own platform because, oh, you can get your access to all your students' emails and grow your list and and all that. Mm. But even now, uh, Udemy is like probably 80% of my online teaching revenue. And so, you know, not complicating things, just do what I do best. I think if I boiled it down, especially for, you know, your audience and who you're, mm. you're gearing, is just focus on what you do best, you know, and what Udemy does best is marketing and they've gotten to their huge audience, not by accident, you know. And so uh, if myself as a course creator, if I just would focus strictly on creating courses and getting them out rather than spending additional time like, well, how do I launch my own platform and how do I grow an email list and how do I do marketing and how to do Facebook and Twitter and, you know, and LinkedIn <laughs> and and, you know, the student base is more than willing to do the promotions for me. You know, they, they yeah. share things on LinkedIn and just word of mouth marketing. And so I, I do believe I'm. you do have to do some marketing, but you've got to have a quality product. And so just really focusing on what you do best and just boiling that down and then just putting the foot on the gas pedal and not looking back. When you say quality product, you know, you've been on the platform since 2016, I believe you said. So what has changed in your quality? What angles? Is it the audio? Is it the video? Is it the actual content? Is it the interaction? Where do you see the quality as being the biggest um, impact? I think all of the above in that I'm better at structuring the courses now. I understand the importance of having like a quiz after each section. I kind of have my own system and cadence in that, you know, at the start of each new section, I do what I call a talking head video where I'm back on the screen. I'm reminding people of who I am and I'm talking about this next section and trying to build the excitement. I think as well, uh, you know, early on, the first course I was recording, I was recording like either really early in the morning or really late. And so probably 90% of the time I was really tired. So I, I sounded like a zombie, you know, and so some of the feedback was, you know, well, hey, he sounds like he hates his job and he sounds like he's, you know, <laughs> about six to 7% of my students, their feedback was I could use more energy, you know, and so I've learned to amp up the energy and shorten yeah. the length of my lectures and think about the timing and where to intersperse really dense technical information with more theoretical stuff. And and then the production quality, my son Aaron, I do a revenue share with him, actually, because he plays a key component in this. And so he's taken some of the money he's made in order to improve the gear that he has. And so now we have better gear, better lighting and all that. Um, so I think that we've both gotten better at what we do. Mm -hmm. What would you say was your biggest breakthrough moment um, in the last sort of 18 months? There's been several, you know, beyond just the day we went live and I sold the 28, I think um, trying some courses that I thought were going to be big and in demand and they didn't quite or they they never really reached the status of some of those certification courses was one aha moment, just sticking towards the motivated learner. 
and that would be certifications for me. And then the other was uh, listening to the guidance from Udemy in that they're launching, they were launching a new product for practice test courses, and they were really wanting me to do a practice test course, and that means mm-hmm. writing sample questions, and it's a text-only course. And I'd never done that, and I was really intimidated by that and thought, I don't know, and I was looking at some of the practice test courses and the low ratings they were getting and thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And I didn't think it would sell that well. And so they, you know, convinced me that I needed to do it. And there's a lot of demand. I said, okay, I'll do it. And it took a lot longer than I thought. It was a lot harder than I thought. And I did one for the uh, admin course. And it's now my second best-selling course right behind the full admin certification course. And so if I hadn't have done that, then that'd be a huge revenue chunk that I wouldn't have. So since then, I've done a practice test um, course um, for another certification course that I have so so now what I'm what I'm doing is I do certification course and then as I'm putting that together I'm writing sample test questions of you know to test people's knowledge on these concepts and mm-hmm. Udemy does have a really good product as far as their practice test solution where it's timed and by knowledge area and you can get feedback and and it really closely replicates what the actual exams are like from a user mm. perspective so that to me was aha moment was yeah. to just embrace that and not not do a lot of speculative things you know just stick with the certifications do what i do best and and don't go too technical you know i see so many people that go way off in the weeds and get super technical i'm going the opposite direction of keeping it simple and to me it's like i'd rather be at the top of the marketing funnel reaching as many people as possible than singing the mantra of everyone can code i'm kind of the antithesis of that in that not everyone can code and thanks to salesforce you don't have to so that's kind of my spiel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm interested to know. Um, you spend obviously quite a bit of time creating the courses and making sure the structures are right, and you know, interspersing as you were saying with the quizzes and things like that. So, give us a bit of a view of um, a day in your life, sort of now versus when you just launched the Udemy platform. Okay. So I think day in the life, I try to, I'm probably the first thing I do, honestly, is I look at how many cells I have for the day and kind of see if things are on track, you know, being honest. And then I usually look at the reviews and make sure there's no crazy half star reviews, you know, or anything like that. Someone trolling me or something. And um, I used to, you know, say thank you to every review. I don't do that anymore because, you know, I've got over 7,500 reviews. And that's a good way to tell if someone actually has engagement of an audience is if they have a lot of reviews compared to their students. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so then from there, uh, answering any questions, I try to do the public facing questions in the Q&A. And then I hit messages for, you know, people can message me privately. Some people want like guidance or feedback on, you know, what to study next. Or maybe they Mm -hmm. almost passed but missed by one or two questions. And here's their second level feedback, any guidance, appreciate stuff like that. So trying to uh, do, you know, this is a challenge is they, you know, I also have people messaging me through email, through Twitter, through Facebook. And so just trying to keep up, you know, somewhat with all of that. And then um, beyond that, I'm either usually structuring a course or recording a course. And so uh, I I'll be spending some time if it's structuring a course, just 
uh, laying things out in Microsoft Word. It's kind of like a return to my technical writing days where I structure an outline and generate a table of contents to see where we're at, you know, and how many pages and how it flows. And then if I'm in production, uh, I usually do the talking head or the in-camera stuff last, and I'll do my screen demos on uh, computer and using Camtasia to capture the software and the click-throughs and and just mm-hmm. really reviewing what that specific lecture is about and just sticking to that one goal for that lecture and not you know chasing rabbits or getting off on the sides. And if there's things, once I've recorded that, I tend to take notes on things I need to address later because things come to mind and so I'll find in my course document where that falls in and add those notes and then uh, the workflow from there is uh, you know exporting that save it and then my son who's the video editor he takes that and edits and we've got a you know spreadsheet to track progress and run time and anymore I try to track my time that I spend so that I know like how many hours of my time equals one hour of runtime on a course and that kind of gives me an idea of how many hours I invested on creating a course so I can see over time how much revenue something's generated. So, you know, what's my hourly for doing this, basically? Correct, yeah. Okay, and give us a a bit of a quick view of what gear you have. What gear I have? Yeah, and resources that you use to to produce everything. Oh, uh, let's see. So, I use... um, I thought you were talking about... I'm always in high gear. I'm a a goofball, (laughs) sorry. So, (laughs) I use a a Mac laptop and Camtasia for my screen recordings. And I've got a uh, a Dell monitor that's good widescreen dimensions so that when I capture uh, the screen demos, I can have that at a... I guess a really high pixel so that people can see the screen really well and then it is still in HD or whatever. And then um, on my son's side, he uses Adobe Premiere Pro and he's got a Mac computer and a laptop and he's got all sorts of cameras now. I don't even begin to know, but he started out with just a DSLR, like a Canon something or other. And um, I use that now actually as like a secondary camera. And what we found is this is kind of a recent happy accident and you know Mm -hmm. that I've done is that when I'm doing screen demonstrations and if it's something where there's a lot of theory and I have to have a lot of asides or a lot of discussion I've set that old camera our secondary camera up beside me and so I'll look into the camera and talk so that my students aren't just staring at a screen with a mouse not moving while I talk for a minute and then Aaron can edit back and forth or cut back and forth between the screen and then what the camera's capturing so it's almost like the student is sitting next to me and I'm showing them stuff on the screen and then I look over at them and say hey and then here's why we're doing that so uh, and then we, we got all sorts of microphones and lights we have office space of our own we don't do this out of the home because it would be crazy to try and do that with this many kids so i actually you know pay for office space and so we've got you know a nice facility to do that uh the green screen stuff is in one room and then the screen demos are in a different room with a more controlled uh closed environment with better sounds stuff like that Mm-hmm. So when you look back from your technical writing days when you were, when you actually peaked and when you look at your business model today, um, has it been a worthwhile journey for you revenue-wise and all the things that you'll be able to do and the expansion that you're looking forward to? 
Yes, it's been very worthwhile because, you know, I alluded to before that I felt like I really hit the ceiling of what I could do in the technical writing space. And I was getting bored with it at that point, you know, and I found it really easy uh, to just churn out content. And and so, yeah, it's it's caused me to really learn a lot. And it's pushed me into new realms and out of my comfort zones and all that. But there's also been just an exponential increase in revenue. So it's it's mm. definitely been helpful for our family to be able to do this for sure. Awesome. That's great to hear. Did you think at any point that it was never going to work? Or have there been points where you felt this, I need to start looking for a job again? Up until the course release, probably every day I had doubts, <laughs> you know, up until I made my first sell, because I just didn't know what was going to happen. And I was investing a lot of time, you know, you, you sink 100 hours or more into an endeavor, not knowing anything speculative, you hope that it will be worth it. And so I had a, a lot of challenges and a lot of doubts. But since then, I mean, since that first day of those sales coming in, I, I knew that I was on to something. And, you know, I've done other things in the past, like affiliate marketing and been involved in some big sales days and stuff like that in other realms. And I knew that with that kind of start that we were on to something big. You know, this sort of excitement that keeps you awake at night because you're just excited, mm-hmm. like, oh, my goodness, you know, <laughs> something big might happen, you know. And I still feel that way. I feel like... Just just looking at where this is heading and and what we've been able to do so far that it's just exciting to pursue it so yeah it's um it's a great time um being a technical writer it takes a lot to become excited about something isn't it <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah usually we're pretty dry and boring so yeah you guys are just like accountants like we accountants so <laughs> i get it <laughs> exactly hey uh Mark, what are the best two books that you have read that have inspired you, I guess, to uh, to become the entrepreneur that you are? You've talked about the, the first books. Maybe you can share that again and what the title was and maybe give us a second book. So the first book was uh, developing on the Salesforce platform. And I probably should look up who the author is just to give him proper credit because without that book... Um, I wouldn't be here, you know, at all. Yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah. but probably not. And uh, <laughs> let me let me just pause for a second to see if I can find it because it's so long ago. But um, uh, there it is. Okay, so it's uh, Development with the Force.com platform by Jason. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Jason Ouellette, O-U-E-L-L-E-T-T-E. I don't know how to pronounce that, but... By Jason okay. Somebody. Cool. <laughs> and then the other was uh, Crossing the Chasm is a kind of an older book, but just talking about how to reach mass audiences. And there's an update towards the end about dealing with digital products. It's just a few pages, but uh, it, it talks about things like hitting the engagement gear and all this kind of stuff. But that was helpful to me, because even just figuring out where I'm at in that whole thing. I'm not one of the earliest of adopters, but I'm pretty early on on something and tend to hit things before they hit mainstream. And so I feel like, you know, I I did that with Salesforce and now I'm doing that with online teaching. You know, nowadays I'm like looking around, seeing who all can teach and go, man, you got to teach online, you know. (laughs) So Mm. it kind of reminds me of how I was uh, talking about Salesforce, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Thanks for sharing that. And Mark, what is the best way for people to connect with you? 
Best way to connect with me would be through my website, mikewheelermedia.com, and uh, they can connect with me. I've got an uh, online form to contact me there and have information on all my courses and more about myself, my family, different uh, sons that work with me, my wife as well, and, uh, and just more about what we're all about. Amazing. So, MikeWheeler.com. Nope. We're going to link it's that up. MikeWheelerMedia.com. And I've got it written down here, and I'm reading it differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. MikeWheelerMedia.com. So, um, we'll link all of that up in our in our show notes, and, uh, and also we'll create a free PDF highlight reel of everything we have discussed here with Mike, and that will be at businessgenerals.com forward slash Mike W. So, Mike, before I ask my last question, I do want to thank you for, you know, spending your time here with us and our audience, and also to just thank you uh, overall for all the, you know, 27,000 people that you have impacted through the Udemy platform, plus more on other different platforms, because I know for a fact there's a whole bunch of them who have created a new income stream for themselves and for their families. And I love your mission, you know, reaching out to other countries, other platforms where, you know, they, they might not be able to, to reach a even a $10 course, but if they can spend $2 on a course and, and be able to generate additional income, these the, the days of outsourcing are upon us. So maybe that is their gateway to being able to serve global clients. So appreciate you and for all the words of wisdom for sharing freely, generously with our audience. I really thank you for that. Now for, for my last question, when all is said and done, what legacy do you want to leave if you think about legacy and uh, what do you want to be remembered for and tell us why? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, the legacy that I hope to leave is that I do impact a lot of lives. And I think that regardless of, you know, what I do on the Salesforce platform or on Udemy as well, I think that uh, just being a father to seven kids, I think that's where my legacy will be in that, you know, the view of uh, the view I have of parenthood is just providing a platform for them to stand tall and to rise up and to accomplish great things. And so, you know, just the visual picture I have as a father is just like down on my hands and knees and them standing on my back if they have to in order to to rise and reach their highest heights. And so, you know, I'm all about um, my kids and their futures. And so a lot of, you know, what I do is, is for them and because of them. And so I just hope to leave behind uh, something that they can be proud of and take a part in and find their own path along the way using their own gifts and talents, not to become, you know, a clone of me, but to become their own person. And if I can play some part in that, I, I feel like I will have succeeded and had a good legacy. Thank you for sharing that. You've spoken like a true dad. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. That was Mr. Mike Wheeler from MikeWheelerMedia.com. Thank you for hanging out with me and Mike. I hope you got a lot out of that and I hope you've got been inspired to go and chase your dreams because you are good enough to do so. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, do leave us a review on iTunes and we'll be sure to give you a shout out in an upcoming show. And uh, remember to head on over to businessgenerals.com forward slash Mike W and grab that special PDF show highlight reel just for you. And um, also remember to click subscribe on your podcast player. To connect with Mike, you can reach him at MikeWheelerMedia.com and he's on Twitter, Facebook. Reach out to Mike over on those platforms. Mike, thank you so much for being on the Business Journalist podcast today and for sharing your story with us. 
absolutely grateful you are a true business general. Thank you, Davis. I enjoyed it. Hey, what's up, Business Generals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.